0: 7 a.m. on the West Coast, 10 a.m. on the East Coast of America. Good morning, America. How are you? Hey, uh... hey, London, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Wow. It's 7.30 in Mumbai, India, 11 p.m. in Kyoto, Japan, and in Malaysia, it's 1961. I'm Jay Sheldon, and I'm not wearing pants. <laughs> I almost didn't make it tonight. Almost. I did make it, obviously. I'm here. But uh what happened to my volume? I don't I have no idea. Okay. Uh we're going to push forward anyway. I didn't even get comfortable. I like ran into the air chair at the last second. So um I'm here anyway. So I guess that's the good part. We'll see. Uh, let's see. Got to go to multi-stream so I can see all your little chat messages. And uh, what else have we got going on? We got uh, YouTube. We got Rumble.com. Thanks, Rumble. Also, uh, Facebook Live and uh, Twitch.tv. Uh, <clears throat> are you selling online? Are you buying things online? You probably, (laughs) you might want to think twice before you get especially if you're selling things online. I bought a ton of stuff online over the last five, six, seven, eight years. Um, Of course, once we had all of our, you know, we were all under house arrest for that stupid pandemic, uh, pandemic crap, pandemic, boy, that's a better word for it. Um... (laughs) Uh, of course, we were all buying our food online and a bunch of other stuff. We went crazy. Not so much lately. I've kind of backed away from it. But I was the eBay king for a long time. But I've never sold anything online. Have I? I might have tried once or twice, but I no. Anyway, we got a story coming up. If you've ever tried to sell anything online that I'm sure you can relate to. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about a bunch of other stuff, including finally, you know my thing, the bug up my butt about these morons who don't get out of the way for ambulances or fire trucks or police cars. Finally, a tip of the hat to some cops who did their job. Good on you. And uh, we always like to... Spread the good news when it happens, and in this case, it happened. So that's a good thing. Right now, speaking of good news, it's time to take a little check-in on this little lady. Miko update. Miki, Mickey, Miki, Mickey, Miki, Mickey, Miki, 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 Ichiko Mikoto is her name. We love her, and we know her as Miko. And Luna Amethyst has joined the stream. Hello, Luna. <laughs> Good morning to you over there in uh, in America. Uh, yeah, Miko is doing great. She had a couple of walks today. She's eating us out of house and home. We gave her a new chew toy today. It's this big, thick God knows what it is. I don't know. It's heavy as hell. I don't know how she chews it, but she loves it. This is her after we gave her her bath this morning, and uh, we put her up on the uh, little autopsy table here with a blanket or a towel and uh, give her a a brush down and a a blow dryer uh, dry. So, uh, yeah, this is her uh, almost at the end of her bath time. Uh, She's not a big fan of bath time. But uh, she likes the treats afterwards, if nothing else. And oh, yeah, this is it. This is the this. Check this out. This is the word. What you just said is one of the most insane. Not that. <laughs> Although it's true. Uh, this is the dog chew. And it's a Himalayan yak cheese. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's Himalayan yak cheese. So what could be wrong, right? There you go. And uh I, well this is tough to see, but the ingredients are all very natural. There's nothing artificial, no chemicals, nothing in there. I, I know it's you can't really read it on screen, but it's like basically yak milk, uh cow's milk, and uh, some other stuff and and it's she loves it. So, uh as long as she likes it and it's good for her, all's good. All right. So she's doing well. Thank you for asking. Not that you asked, but there you go. All right, let's, uh, let's get on to it. Oh, by the way, thank you so much to all of our podcast listeners. We are almost at 900 average weekly downloads, which is fantastic. I know it's not Joe Rogan or Dan Bongino, but for this little show, it's fantastic. And I cannot possibly thank you enough. I am so humbled. We're, we're striving to get to 1,000. So if you can, please do me a huge favor. Take a minute. Go over to your favorite podcast platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, wherever you get your podcast, and just put in the search bar, I'm not wearing pants, or Jay Sheldon, look for this logo up here in the corner, and uh, that's it. Just hit the follow or subscribe button, and it doesn't cost you anything, and it, it does me a world of good, trust me. Really helpful, and uh, we are almost at 900, which means just a little more than 100 folks to go. And if you wouldn't mind, please take a second. And to all those of you who are listening on our podcast, thank you so, so much. And uh, we really appreciate it. A big kiss to you. (laughs) All right. Selling online. People who took the fun out of selling online. This is a great article. The link is in, as always, our description tonight, our show notes, which is our description down below this, uh, this broadcast. <coughs> Excuse me. It's from myhealthgazette.com. And we're all familiar with the concept of online shopping, of course, but buying secondhand products from people is a whole nother story. I bought a lot of Japanese uh, antiques, and vintage things, and I had to look around because my fear, of course, was I'd be getting ripped off. I found one particular seller that I stayed with, and uh, they are very, very reputable. Their stuff is amazing, reasonably priced. But it took some research to actually get there to, uh, you know, kind of assure myself that what I was buying was legit. Anyway, this article came out uh, you're looking for a reasonable price, secondhand goods. Uh, you, uh, even though we don't know them and they may never speak to them again, um, there is no reason to be rude. However, <laughs> that's not often the case. Now, there's a lot of ads here, so just forgive the ads. Anyway, is the price negotiable? This is, these are texts. If you're looking on the uh, video, you can see the text, but if you're just listening, I'll read them to you. Uh, the person says, is the price negotiable? And the answer is, it's two bucks. <laughs> I mean, how much negotiating are you gonna do? A dollar fifty. I saw that your price was two hundred. Would you be able to go lower? And the reply was, I'm pretty firm at two hundred. But what would your offer be? And the person says, thirty bucks. <laughs> she says, seriously? He says, please, my phone just broke. All I have is 30 bucks. My son has work and I can't, he can't contact me without a phone. Please do 30, sir. And the person said, I'm sorry, I can't do that. But I hope you find someone. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, people just don't realize the value of what they're looking for. If you ever dealt with a lowballer before, you know exactly what we mean. Uh, Not just haggling, but basically just trying to rip you off says, I know your ad said no negotiations by how about 150, 140 then. You don't reply, you lose business. 130, 120, 110. This moron just keeps messaging, offering less money, and the person's not replying. And finally, their last message was, reply, me, reply to me, you F. I need that phone. Obviously, they're not going to get it. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, Let's see. Okay. Is this still available? Says the, the buyer, the potential buyer. The seller says yes. And the potential buyer says, I'll do 50, man. Please, it's for my little brother. He's so good at this type of stuff. We went to the doctors a couple days ago, and he was pronounced with terminal leukemia. One of his wishes was a laptop. I've been saving up ever since my birthday to get him one. If you could help me, that would be amazing, and you would be an amazing person. Now, like the article says, exactly how shameless do you have to be to pitch a story, probably not true, about your brother's terminal leukemia to get a discount from a total stranger? You would be an amazing person person for sure if you dropped your price by 90% an amazingly gullible person (laughs) it's incredible Uh, Luna says there's actually a term for this choosing beggar ah okay I'd never heard that before choosing beggar the exchange between a buyer and a seller this one's fascinating the buyer has only 200 bucks on him right now but the seller is firm at her 250 price which is a fair offer the buyer seems to be a reasonable person. So they thank the buyer and they move on. It says, would you leave it at a lower price? Sorry, need $250. Uh, buyer says, okay, I only have 200 Sorry, I need 250 Okay, thank you. Okay, <laughs> 125 man. A couple of hours later, he comes back with an offer nobody could refuse. Uh, from the initial... Two hundred. They went down to 125. It just this goes on and on. These kind of. I would like to buy your Trek Almond 7.2 bike for 270 bucks. Sorry, I meant to ask. Would you trade for pain meds? (laughs) Would you trade (laughs) for pain meds? And the the seller says, "You want to buy my bike for pain meds?" Is that acceptable, they say? What the hell is going on with this app? I swear to Christ, I'm just trying to sell a bike here. (laughs) Oh, man. These things go on and on. Check it out. The article's in our show notes tonight. Some of these replies, I didn't read them all. There's a ton of them, but it's a really funny article from MyHealthGazette.com. you got to check it out because, man. Uh, Like I said, if you are selling stuff online, Be prepared. There are, as Luna says, choosing beggars everywhere. All right. Uh, I don't like using stuff from the Malay Mail because, frankly, they just do nothing but, you know, uh, fear porn headlines. They try and do everything they can for clickbait, and I'm not a fan of that kind of crap. But sometimes they actually do some journalism and carry an interesting story, like... This one! It is such a gay rah rah moment. Oh my goodness. Check this out. You know, we've done several segments and several videos we've shown you from dash cams and things. Both of the idiots that stop traffic for these VVIP uh, escort vehicles to get through, including stopping ambulances on their way to emergencies. And people that just, I see it all the time on the roads. You've got ambulances trying to get through the highways and traffic and people just going slow in front of them, not getting out of the way. You know, like you'd think a giant van with flashing red lights and a siren might get your attention. Are you so much in your own little weird world that you, you know, not aware of what's right behind you? Anyway, great story in the Malay Mail. Links in our show notes. Please read it. Cops nab two men for blocking an ambulance carrying a patient in Klang. Yes! Get them! Nail their asses to the wall and find them as much as you possibly can. In fact, if there's possibly jail time included, send them to jail. Take their licenses away. Give them a couple of good years of no driving. Maybe then they'll learn a lesson. Klang, by the way, if you're not in Malaysia, is a Town and area uh, on the west seaboard uh, sea coast of seacoast uh, of Malaysia. Uh, anyway, police arrested two men for deliberately obstructing an ambulance that was taking a patient to a hospital. South Klang District Police Chief ACP Chua Hong Fong said the two suspects were arrested by a team from CID, Criminal Investigation Division of South Klang District Police Headquarters, at 4 o'clock yesterday afternoon. The arrest was made following a review of a video recording on Facebook which showed the ambulance being stopped by a white Toyota Hi-Ace and a blue Medina's Chris motorcycle, apart from the Klang Police Station receiving a report from the ambulance driver. Cha said a check on the two suspects, aged 53 and 30, showed they didn't have any past records. Uh, police uh, making a remand application of the two suspects in Klang Court. Uh, he said, based on the complaint received from the ambulance driver, the driver who was taking a dialysis patient to Sri Kota Hospital in Klang was stopped by the Toyota Hi-Ace driver who was tailgating the ambulance closely. They warned the driver of the van by using a loudspeaker to keep his vehicle away. And soon after, a motorcyclist also stopped his vehicle in front of the ambulance to obstruct it. The man got off his motorcycle, approached the driver's side door, and ordered the complainant to get out. What? The complainant continued to back his ambulance up to avoid conflict. Good on you. Smart move. Same time, the van stopped at the side of the ambulance. They managed to elude both vehicles and continue on to the hospital. So they've identified the two morons. They are applying for a remand order. And like I said, throw the book at these people. Take their licenses away. Don't allow them to drive legally for a couple of years. And you know what? If you catch them driving when they're not supposed to be, take it away for life. Could you impound their cars, maybe, and the motorcycle? Take those away? Send them to jail? You just, honest to God, you you cannot punish these people enough. Somebody's got to start throwing the book at these people so that other people will take notice and stop being morons. I swear to God, this is just incredible, these unbelievably stupid people we have outrageous. All right. Got a sad kind of update on a story we covered here a few months back. Uh, this is from weirdkaya.com. The link is in our show notes tonight. Please check it out. And it is uh, an update on Koh Li Pang. Uh, months after her story went viral, ex-Paralympian Koh Li Pang is still selling tissue papers at Bukit Uh, There's a picture of her. There she is in her uh, wheelchair uh, out in the street in the hot sun. Uh, The former Paralympic athlete who was named Female Paralympian of the Year in 2016 brought home seven gold and three silver medals at the ASEAN Paragames from 2001 to 2005. Previously had gone viral online. We did a story about that after a netizen spotted her selling tissue paper along the streets of Bukit Bintan. Um, She's been dubbed the star a shining beacon to her peers at the Cerebral Palsy Children's Association of Penang. And despite her many accolades, an internet search revealed Ko's been selling tissue paper around Bandar Purda in Bukit Murtajam in Penang since 2019. Uh, Her plight, came to the public eye uh, from an online post that went viral. And a lot of Malaysians were pretty outraged at how a decorated athlete who's done so amazingly well in the Paralympic Games uh, has to resort to selling tissue paper to make a living. Uh, She was cited at the same spot. Many people, including me, thought the coverage of this situation Uh, would jolt authorities into giving some sort of practical long-term assistance to Ko. But apparently, absolutely nothing has changed at all. And that is a sad thing to report. In exclusive coverage by the China Press, one of their readers recently spotted her selling the tissue paper at Bukit Bintan from her wheelchair. There's a picture of that. And uh, Ko's face, visibly red and exhausted from being under the scorching sun for hours while simply trying to earn an honest living. I don't know what's to be done, but if somebody in the government or in our sports council or our sports ministry doesn't buck up and do something to help not just this lady, but certainly this lady, but all of our Paralympic athletes, I don't know what the hell's wrong with you. We really need to respect these folks uh, for the amazing work that they have done. And to have one have to resort in her wheelchair, to selling tissue on the side of the road. It is a disgrace. It truly is a disgrace. It's embarrassing. Do something, would you? All right. Hey, it's the world of buzz. Oh, yeah. We love the world of buzz on this show. We use a lot of their stuff. Oops, just banged my microphone. Sorry about that. Hang on. Before we get to the world of buzz, I got a coffee break. Which also reminds me, Miko merchandise, it's the top link in our show notes. You'll find our show uh, mugs, coffee mugs with Miko on it, shirts, mouse pads, caps, hoodies, all kinds of cool stuff. Just click on that top link in our uh, description down below, and you'll be taken right to the page for all kinds of cool Miko merch if you want to buy some. All right, world of buzz, we love you. Here's a great story. (laughs) Oh, you know, people complain about the economy and the lockdown and how they're having tough times doing business, getting work, getting paid. Malaysians line up outside Pavilion, and for those of you who don't live in Malaysia, Pavilion is a giant, rather upscale shopping mall right in the heart of Kuala Lumpur, our our capital city, KL. Why were they lining up outside Pavilion? Pavilion to get their hands on the cheapest Omega watch ever. Look at this. Well, first of all, there's the watch. But this is the line of people, including some who camped out overnight for a watch. Are you mad? Omega, of course, is a name that has a massive stature in the watch world. Um, it's watch making heritage, high value. It can command thousands and thousands of ringgit. By the way, if you're not in Malaysia, the ringgit is what we call our money here. One ringgit, two ringgit, three ringgits. <laughs> anyway, uh, for those who may not know what a Speedmaster is, it's basically a watch that the astronauts wore on their voyage to the moon. And it's hit the world by storm, including Malaysia. There is a, here's a video. Let me just mute this down. There's a video of the lines outside Pavilion waiting to get into buy. Look at that. It's insane. At selected swatch outlets around the world in Malaysia, those who wanted to get their hands on the cheapest Omega to date had to go to Pavilion, which naturally witnessed a huge turnout with a long line snaking around the concourse area. It's available in 11 designs, and uh, the focus of watch fans may be the original moon design. Omega X Swatch uh, closely resembles the expensive Big Brother, which is priced at 1065 Whoops, there we go. Take a look at that. Unbe- people are complaining because you can't find work or the economy is so bad because of the pandemic. Pandemic and yet you're going to line up or camp out to buy a $1,000 watch. Okie dokie, I think I'll find something else to spend my hard-earned money on. Like, oh, I don't know, food, rent, electricity, you know, just the non-important essentials. (laughs) All right, you got to check this out. This is so cool. Let me see if I can make it any bigger, or am I going to screw it up? No, I'm going to screw it up. Hang on. Hang on, hang on. No, 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 don't want that. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, here we go. You got to see this. This is so cool. It's in, our, it's in our show notes tonight, in our description down below. Watch this little guy. Uh, I, you know, I don't know who this is. It's not credited. There's, there's no note here about who it is. It's from ESPN in the UK. But you watch the television behind him. Again, links in our show notes for you podcast listeners. You see Bruce Lee in the film behind him. Now watch this little guy. He is five years old. I played the video for you here. This is insane. He is move for move doing what Bruce Lee is doing on screen. Look at this. Look at that. He's five years old incredible he's got and he's not watching the tv he's memorized these moves check that out here's uh here's him again again he's mimicking watch the tv behind him here he goes doing everything bruce lee is doing check this out he's memorized the whole routine do they call it kata when it's uh, nunchucks i know they do that in karate but that is so look at look at the look on his face. Is this guy serious or what? <laughs> ah, and he's got his Bruce Lee outfit on. This is the coolest video. You've got to see this. Again, if you're listening to the podcast, sorry it's a video, but you check out the link. It's in our show notes. And it is look at that. Look at that attitude. Oh man. <laughs> What a great little kid, five years old. I wish I could tell you his name. I'd like to give him some credit, but that's incredible. Absolutely amazing. (laughs) All right, what else have we got? Oh, more good news. Oh, man, what a story. What a story. Check it out, links in the notes. This is from upworthy.com. A blind basketball player. Now, Think about that for a minute. A basketball player who is blind. The crowd at this game hushed so the blind basketball player could hear the basket. And then when she makes the shot, the crowd goes wild. Look at that. I believe what this person is doing is tapping on the glass behind the basket. You see there, there's a picture of this blind basketball player. There's the basket. She's got some sort of pole where she's tapping it. A common belief, disabilities make it impossible to do some things. Sometimes that's true, of course, but not nearly as often as people assume. With the right support and accommodations, people with all manner of disabilities can take part in far more activities than society expects. A team sport like basketball, can a person who can't see play the sport? Now, you'd think, of course, no. But uh, how would they know where to throw the ball and locate the basket? How could they keep track of where their teammates are? Well, with a, uh, without a little imagination and answering, those questions seem like they would exclude blind people from being able to play basketball. But humans have a way of figuring stuff out. Julia, Jules Hoogland is completely blind, a junior at Zeeland East High School in Michigan, and she plays on the Zeeland's Unified Sports Team, which is made up of students with and without disabilities. She set up for a free throw. The crowd fell into a hush, so Hoogland could hear the tapping of the basket. That is what that stick was for. person was tapping where the basket was so she could hear it and sense how far away it was. A fellow posi- a player ensured she was positioned in the right place for the shot, and she nailed it. Take a look. I wish I, I can't play the sound, but take a look at this. You hear him tapping? She's getting set up, figuring out where the basket is. Somebody's got her in the right. And there she goes. Yeah, and in. (laughs) Wow. The crowd goes wild. That is amazing. Wow. She's blind. 100% completely blind check out the video and the story from Upworthy.com. It's in our, uh, in our show notes tonight. All right, one more for you, and then we're going to get on to our book, sort of. A dear old friend of mine, and I mean old as in long time ago. She's not old. Uh, Annie Van Doren, who is now Annie Van Doren Kosciusko, uh, posted, it's a public post, so I'm not giving away anything, uh, uh, private, but take a look at this. I, if you're on the podcast, listening to the audio only, please check out the link. I did put it in our show notes tonight. It's the last link down. And this is amazing. I do not remember this. And yet not only was I a part of it, I'm in this picture, and apparently I won some sort of award. (laughs) I do vaguely remember the contest, vaguely, but I don't remember a single detail about it. The caption on this newspaper article says, Winners of the Fire Prevention Poster Contest, sponsored by the Cornwall Volunteer Fire Department, received their prizes and got a close look at a fire truck this week. The winners, and then they list all the people who were winners. And I know and remember and am still, for a big part, friends with most of these people. (laughs) Cynthia Heininger, Mike Watts, Rita Bailey. That's the woman I told you. Remember I set her foot on fire with the magnifying glass? Oh, man, Benjamin Terrell, uh, Paul Chamberlain. David Heininger, uh, who sadly we just lost a short while ago. Uh, Jimmy Hurlbert, Kimberly, uh, this is amazing. Annie Van Doren, there you are, Annie. And yes, Jay Sheldon. If I'm not mistaken, that's me right there. Let's see. Jay Sheldon, sixth grade, Jimmy Hurlbert. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's me, where my mouse is right now. That's so strange. That's Paul Chamberlain. I recognize him after all these years. Man, this is incredible. Again, it probably doesn't mean a whole lot to you. But if you want to see me about 50 years ago, there I am. (laughs) Oh, man. Thank you, Annie, for posting that. It is absolutely incredible. What a fantastic shot. (laughs) Memories of days, many, many days gone by. (laughs) that's insane wow all right we are going to uh, get on to our um we're going to get on to our book here but before we do that i gotta make a couple of adjustments so you're gonna have to give me a second and i'm gonna figure out how to uh how to do this because it's gonna be very strange we gotta hook this up, and move over here. See, you're actually seeing what I do behind the scenes, but you guys get to see it as it happens. We're on chapter 31. Wow, imagine that. Chapter 31. All right, Let's uh, move it on up and get over here. We're doing Tom Sawyer, by the way. Uh, We read classic books on this show. They come to us from the good folks at The Gutenberg Project, which is gutenberg.org. And um, we've done Peter Pan. We've done The Wizard of Oz. We did Alice in Wonderland, The Little Prince. uh, You name it. We've done a ton of them. And now we're doing The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. Uh, This is Chapter 31. And let me go over here and pop up the book. There we go and show you chapter 31. Ooh, I see bats. That'll be cool. All right, here we go. Chapter 31 in The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, written by the amazing Mark Twain. Now, to return to Tom and Becky's share in the picnic, they tripped along the murky aisles with the rest of the company, visiting the familiar wonders of the cave, wonders dubbed with rather over-descriptive names, such as the drawing room, the cathedral, Aladdin's palace, and so on. Presently, the hide-and-seek frolicking began, and Tom and Becky engaged in it with zeal, until the exertion began to grow a trifle wearisome. And then they wandered down a sinuous avenue, holding their candles aloft and reading their tangled webwork of names, dates, post office addresses, and mottoes with which the rocky walls had been frescoed in candle smoke. Still drifting along and talking, they scarcely noticed that they were now in a part of the cave whose walls were not frescoed. They smoked their own names under an overhanging shelf and moved on. Well, presently they came to a place where a little stream of water, trickling over a ledge, carried a limestone sediment with it, had in the slow, dragging ages, formed a laced and ruffled Niagara in gleaming and imperishable stone. Tom squeezed his small body behind it in order to illuminate it for Becky's gratification. He found that it curtained a sort of steep, natural stairway, which was enclosed between narrow walls, and at once the ambition to be discovered seized him. Becky responded to his call, and they made a smoke mark for future guidance, started on their quest. They wound this way, and that, far down into the secret depths of the cave, made another mark, and branched off in search of novelties to tell the upper world about. In one place, they found a spacious cavern from whose ceiling depended a multitude of shining stalactites of the length and circumference of a man's leg. They walked all around it, wondering and admiring, and presently left it by one of the numerous passages that opened into it. This shortly brought them to a bewitching spring, whose basin was encrusted with a frostwork of glittering crystals. It was in the midst of a cavern, whose walls were supported by many fantastic pillars, which had formed by the joining of great stalactites and stalagmites together the result of the ceaseless water drip of centuries. Under the roof, vast knots of bats had packed themselves together, thousands in a bunch. The lights disturbed the creatures, and they came flocking down by the hundreds, squeaking and darting furiously at the candles. Tom knew their ways and the danger of this sort of conduct. He squeezed Becky's hand and, hurried her into the first corridor that offered, and none too soon. For a bat struck Becky's light out with its wing, and she was passing out of the cave. The bats chased the children a good distance, and at last got rid of the perilous things. Tom found a subterranean lake shortly, which stretched its dim length away until its shape was lost in the shadows. He wanted to explore its borders, but concluded that it would be best to sit down and rest a while first. And now, for the first time, in steep stillness of the place laid a clammy hand upon the spirits of the children. And Becky said, Why didn't I notice, but it seems ever so long since I heard any of the others. Well, come to think, Becky, We are way down below, and I I don't know how far away, north, south, or east, or whichever it is. We couldn't hear them here. Becky grew apprehensive. I wonder how long we've been down here, Tom. We'd better start back. Yes, I reckon we'd better. Perhaps we'd better. Can you find the way, Tom? It's all mixed up crookedness to me. I reckon I could find it, but then the bats... "'If they put our candles out, it'll be an awful fix. "'Let's try some other way so as not to go through there. "'Well, I hope we don't get lost. It'd be so awful.' "'And the girl shuddered at the thought of the dreadful possibilities. "'They started through a corridor and traversed it in silence a long way, "'glancing at each new opening to see if there was anything familiar about the look of it. "'But if they were all strange... Every time Tom made an examination, Becky would watch his face for an encouraging sign, and he would say cheerily, Oh, it's all right. This ain't the one, but we'll come to it right away. But he felt less and less hopeful with each failure. Presently, he began to turn off into diverging avenues at sheer random, in desperate hope of finding the one that was wanted. He said, still said it was all right, But there was such a leaden dread at his heart, the words had lost their ring and sounded just as if he had said, All is lost. Becky clung to his side in an anguished fear and tried hard to keep back the tears. But they would come. And at last she said, Oh, Tom, never mind the bats. Let's just go back that way. We seem to get worse and worse off all the time. Listen, said he profound silence silence so deep that even their breathings were conspicuous in the hush tom shouted the call went echoing down the empty aisles and died out in the distance in a faint sound that resembled a ripple of mocking laughter oh don't do it again tom it's too horrid said becky it is horrid but i better becky They might hear us, you know, and he shouted again. The might was even a chillier horror than the ghostly laughter. It was so confessed a perishing hope. The children stood still and listened, but there was no result. Tom turned upon the back track at once and hurried his steps. It was but a little while before a certain indecision in his manner revealed another fearful fact to Becky. He could not find his way back. Oh, Tom, you didn't make any marks. Becky, I was such a fool, such a fool. I I never thought we might want to come back. No, I I can't find the way. It's all mixed up. Tom, Tom, we're lost. We're lost. We we can never get out of this awful place. So why did we ever leave the others? She sank back to the ground burst into such a frenzy of crying that Tom was appalled with the idea that she might die or lose her reason. He sat down by her, put his arms around her. He buried her face in his bosom. She clung to him. He poured out her terrors, her unavailing regrets, and the far echoes turned them all to jeering laughter. Tom begged her to pluck up hope again, and she said she could not. He fell to blaming and abusing himself for getting her into this miserable situation, and this had a better effect. She said she would try to hope again, and she would get up and follow wherever he might lead if only he would not talk like that anymore, for he was no more to blame than she, she said. So they moved on again, aimlessly, simply at random. All they could do was move, keep moving. For a little while, Hope made a show of reviving, not with any reason to back it, but only because of its nature to revive when the spring has not been taken out of it by age and familiarity with failure. By and by, Tom took Becky's candle and blew it out. This economy meant so much. Words were not needed. Becky understood, and her hope died again. She knew that Tom had a whole candle and three or four pieces in his pockets, yet we must economize. By and by, fatigue began to assert its claims. The children tried to pay attention, for it was dreadful to think of sitting down when time was grown to be so precious. Moving in some direction, any direction, was at least progress and might bear fruit. But to sit down, well, that was to invite death and shorten its pursuit. At last, Becky's frail limbs refused to carry her further. She sat down. Tom rested with her. They talked of home and the friends there, the comfortable beds, and above all, the light. Becky cried, and Tom tried to think of some way of comforting her. But all his encouragements were grown threadbare with use and sounded like sarcasms. Fatigue bore so heavy on Becky she drowsed off to sleep. Tom was grateful. He sat looking in her drawn face and saw it grow smooth and natural under the influence of pleasant dreams. By and by, a smile dawned and rested there. The peaceful face reflected somewhat of peace and healing into his own spirit, and his thoughts wandered away to bygone times and dreamy memories. While he was deep in his musings, Becky woke up with a breezy little laugh but it was stricken dead upon her lips, and a groan followed it. Oh, how could I sleep? I wish I'd never, ever had waked. No, no, I don't, Tom. Don't look so. I won't say it again. I'm glad you've slept, Becky. You'll feel rested now, and we'll find a way out. We can try, Tom, but I've seen such a beautiful country in my dream. I I reckon we're going there. Maybe not maybe not. Cheer up, Becky. Let's go on trying. Well, they rose up and wandered along hand in hand and hopeless. They tried to estimate how long they'd been in the cave, but all they knew was it seemed days and weeks, and yet it was plain this could not be, for they couldn't tell how long. Tom said they must go softly and listen for dripping water. They must find a spring. Well, they found one presently. Tom said it was time to rest again, but Both were cruelly tired, yet Becky said she thought she could go on a little further. She was surprised to hear Tom's dissent. She could not understand it. They sat down, and Tom fastened his candle to the wall in front of them with some clay. Thought was soon busy. Nothing was said for some time, and then Becky broke the silence. Tom, I am so hungry. Tom took something out of his pocket. "'Do you remember this?' he said. Becky almost smiled. "'It's our wedding cake, Tom.' "'Yes, I wish it was big as a barrel, but it's all we got. "'I saved it from the picnic for us to dream on, Tom, "'the way grown-up people do with the wedding cake. "'But it'll be our...' She dropped the sentence where it was. Tom divided the cake. Becky ate with good appetite, and Tom nibbled at his moiety. There was an abundance of cold water to finish the feast with. By and by, Becky suggested they move on again. Tom was silent a moment and then said, Becky, can you bed if I tell you something? Becky's face paled, but she thought she could. Well then, Becky, we must stay here. Where there's water to drink, that little piece is our last candle. Becky gave loose to tears and wailings, and Tom did what he could to comfort her, but with little effect. At length, Becky said, Tom. Well, Becky, they'll miss us. They'll hunt for us. Yes, they will. Certainly they will. Or maybe they're hunting for us now, Tom. Why, well, I reckon they maybe are. I hope they are. When would they miss us, Tom? When they get back to the boat, I reckon. Tom, it it might be dark then. Would they notice we hadn't come? I don't know, but anyway, your mother would miss you as soon as they got home. A frightened look in Becky's face brought Tom to his senses, and he saw that he'd made a blunder. Becky was not to have gone home that night. The children became silent and thoughtful, and In a moment, the new burst of grief from Becky showed Tom that the thing in his mind had struck hers also. That the Sabbath morning might be half-spent before Mrs. Thatcher discovered that Becky was not at Mrs. Harper's. And that's where we're going to leave Chapter 31. We'll finish it up on our next stream nice the adventures of tom sawyer all right folks that's going to do it for us tonight thank you so much for watching and listening into our podcast if you uh if you can please uh we're trying desperately to get to a thousand we're at 800 and something almost 900 uh so please go over to your favorite podcast channel and uh just look for i'm not wearing pants or jay sheldon look for this logo hit that follow or subscribe button spotify uh, Apple Podcasts, Radio Public, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Geo7 in India. Uh, we really appreciate it. We love you guys. Thank you so much. It's uh, It's been great. We're desperate to get up to a 1,000. Just need a few more. Not It wouldn't take much. Thanks. And thank you for those of you who already have. I will see you again on uh, Monday night. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Until then, I'm Jay Sheldon, and I'm not wearing pants. Good night. <laughs> Ha! <laughs>